Well, good morning. Great to see you all here. Uh, if it's your first time here, we um, this service also we um, or my message that I'm preaching we also show in uh, in our church in Plymouth and our church in Londonderry. So good morning to all of them. Uh, two weeks ago, it was it was chore time in our house, and uh, I was supervising my children uh, just to help them accomplish their task. And sometimes um, when, uh, so we have four boys, so when you're attempting to, uh, to get them to do their chores, it turns into um, uh, like a UFC fight like last night where people are leaving the octagon and fighting people in the stands. And that's just what happens. Like they're not even going to fight each other. They're going to find people who are jogging down the street and they're going to fight them during this time as well. And so it's just, it's a little bit of chaos. Everything turns into a weapon, whether it's a sweatshirt or a book or a stuffed animal. And, and I come in and I'm like, listen, you have a choice. You can clean this room or I can give you early bedtime. And the eldest says, no, you won't. You'll forget like you did last time. And I almost went Homer Simpson on that kid, like, why are you little? And, and, uh, and I just paused it and didn't say anything because I know it's true. And when I, oftentimes when I, when I, if they earn a discipline, like I put it in my calendar with a reminder because I'm doing everything I can to make sure that that doesn't happen. But even still, it does happen far too often and they know it. And, uh, and so because I'm not able to enforce it, like they're just going to continue. And so ultimately, I don't remember what happened. Uh, I don't remember. I hopefully, hopefully I won. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes I promise them with bad things, but also I'll promise them with good things and I'll forget about it. So I'll promise them like, oh yeah, you know, you can, uh, you can have an ice cream before bedtime tonight. And next thing I know, it's like, I'm telling them to brush your teeth and they're freaking out. You told us. I'm like, well, that was, I'm sorry. You should have reminded me an hour ago. Uh, it's too late now. I'm not going to give you an, an ice cream legitimately five minutes before you go to bed. But there's other times that I'll remember something. And, and so I just love that where I say, listen, if you do this, I promise we'll do this. And they do that and I do that. And, and it's kind of, you know, and they're happy, but it's really something that they earned. And I've laid out a promise before them. And I said, here's your opportunity. You can pursue this promise. You can go after this promise I have for you. And if you go after it, then, uh, then I promise that I'm going to meet my end of the promise and, and we'll accomplish this. So many times we do that, whether it's, you know, one thing that my four boys love to do, which wouldn't be a surprise, is uh, can we wrestle? And that's their, that's their question. And, uh, and so we'll do this, and I promise we'll wrestle. And so if they're going to clean their room, and all of a sudden it's shirts off and mayhem, and just their veins are popping out, and they're ready to go. And then we go in, and, we, and I remind them. I've got old man strength, and, and, uh, and so I don't hold back. Those kids are going to know who the boss is. And, and it's also helpful in those disciplinary times, like, hey, you know how, how much I hurt you when we're having fun? Don't make me mad. <laughs> so we, uh, you probably have done this. You, you've made promises to people, whether it's a spouse or a friend, and you have actually done what you've promised to do, and, and it is a positive thing. But there are many things in our life that in order to get what we've been promised, 
There's a, there's a process and a path and something we have to pursue in, to, in order to get that. So one big example of this, for those of you who are employed, is your employer. Your employer's promised you a wage, and he's promised you a certain amount of hours that'll pay you for, and he's set that all before you. I promise you this. And then you, every day, through showing up at work, through working hard, through filling out your time card, you're pursuing that promise. And then whether you get paid every week or every other week, um, he, he, he delivers on his promise or she delivers on their promise to you. We get this, that there's, if there's a promise before us, there's something that we do in pursuit of receiving that promise. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. God has given us promises. God has given his people promises. But there's a pursuing of that promise that is, um, that is not even required of us, but that is, uh, that is given to us. Hey, I've got all this for you, and if you'll go after it, I'm going to give it. And that's what we want to look at. That's what we want to look at. If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Ezra. If, you've, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free if you go out in any of our our locations to the Welcome Center. Just ask them. They'll give you one for free. We want you to have a physical copy of the Bible. But all, all, of course, you can download it on your phone and follow us there. We're going to be in this series, uh, Kingdom Builders, for the next three weeks, and we'll be in Ezra for the next three weeks. So I uh, just invite you to be studying that and reading that on your own time. It'll help you as you uh, to just, just have additional comprehension as we're going through this message. And in this, verse number one and verse number two, we're beginning to read about God like delivering a promise and God uh, finally, where, where it seemed like for so long he had forgotten his people, where now he's like, hey, I didn't forget. I made your promises. I didn't forget at all. So in Ezra, we'll just read verse number one and I'll give you a bunch of background history so you can understand what's going on. To Ezra chapter one, verse number one, it reads this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation into writing and send it through his kingdom. So uh, you can look at me. What just happened in that verse, a whole bunch just happened in that uh, sentence. Um, there was a prophecy given a number of years ago through the prophet Jeremiah, which we'll look at in a second. And God had just now fulfilled that prophecy. I'd given you a promise, and now that has happened, and now there's another promise for you that I want you to go after. So let's give some history here of, of what's happening. So God's people had formed a nation, and the nation at this time was named Judah. And they had been attacked and captured by, uh, by the, the Babylonians. And so if you're familiar with history or familiar with, uh, with, with, um, with the Bible, there's a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And his name's famous because he's the one who conquered Judah and uh, began to exile people. He captured, he took 10,000 of the the brightest of God's people to, Bab to Babylon, where he was training them and trying to indoctrinate them and use them as rulers in his kingdom. 
the guys with famous Bible names, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were captured at the beginning of this time, and that's why they were in Babylon. So fast forward um, a few more years, King Nebuchadnezzar, he keeps installing these puppet kings in over Judah. They're like, hey, Jesus is going to do what I want. Let the people pretend they have their own kingdom, but really... Um, you just served me. And that kept backfiring on him. So finally, he just got angry, took in his armies, and just destroyed Jerusalem, uh, just wiped it out, and sent everybody packing. Uh, sent a whole bunch of people to, to Babylon and just kicked people out elsewhere. And there was a few people, poor people, who kind of stood and stayed and lived off the land, but pretty much there was nothing. There was no, it was leveled. And he, and so that's where Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 29, there's this famous verse that you hear about in, in church all the time. Uh, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. This is after the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed and they're now finding themselves being kicked out of their nation, kicked out of their hometown, and they're living in a city that they've never lived in before under a ruler who's just killed and, 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 and has no care or concern for them. God said, listen, there's a plan for you. And in verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 10, Jeremiah says this. So just the verse before, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He says, this is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again. And that promise is what we just read happening that God fulfilled in Ezra 1, verse 1. It is now years later, and God says, hey, I've promised. After 70 years, they, you know, uh, they just assume God forgot. Most of the people living uh, never had ever lived in Jerusalem. Most of, the, this, of, of God's people now... Um, you know, their parents could have given up on it. They may have never even heard the promise that God had made so many years ago through the prophet Jeremiah. It was just, they're just living their lives. And they're living good lives at this point. God had said, hey, set up homes, set up businesses, enjoy the prosperity of Babylon. And, uh, and so they're doing that, and they're flourishing. They've got, they have a lot of freedom under King Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, to help improve the economy and improve the society, and so they're doing that, and God is just giving them favor and blessing them. And what happens is, seemingly overnight, because Babylon has just ruled for so long, they get attacked by Persia and King Cyrus, and they just white, and they take over. All the land that the Babylonians had had now is under the rule of the king, of King Cyrus of Persia. And so what does this mean to them? And they're just kind of wondering, like, what's this new king? How is he going to respond to us? How is he going to treat us? And he, within his first year being the king and now being ruler over Babylon, says um, here in verse number two, he sends this edict out. He says, um, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. This is no ordinary event. 
uh, this is spectacular. And, and he didn't just say, get out of here. I'm sick of seeing you. He said, you need to go back to your hometown. You need to build a temple to your God. You need to worship him again. And it, what is really interesting, he's saying, God has told me to tell you to do this. And King Cyrus was not a person of God. He was not a follower of God. And uh, he, had no, he, he had no interest in worshiping God himself, but yet God was using him to fulfill a promise that God had given. And, and so now God had made a promise. I will bring you home in what seemed impossible days before. Now they'd be given absolute freedom to do. Any of you who want to go you should go. And God is now saying here in Ezra 1 and Ezra chapter 2, he's saying, hey, let me remind you of a promise I made a long time ago. I told you I'd bring you home, and now it's time for it to happen. It's time for you to pursue that promise. This is not a big deal. We could think like, oh, that's nice. They just packed up their, their, their minivans and headed back home, but there's a lot happening here that we want to look at real quickly so we can just understand what's happening, and not just to have this historical background of what God did so many years ago, but to build our faith because there's something that God's promised you, and, and you're just sitting back waiting it for it to happen, but maybe God said, hey, the time's now. It's time for you to pursue it, and I believe that for a church, there's something that God has promised us that we've been sitting back and waiting on for a number of years, and now it is time for us to pursue it and to go after it. So we're going to kind of look at all those things and walk out of here different as a person, different as a church than when we came into it just a few minutes ago. So if you're going to pursue God's promise, a couple of things we can see from the scripture here that we don't want to overlook and that we want to learn. First, it takes courage. It was a promise. I'm going to bring you home. And it sounded great, but it was going to take a lot of courage to actually pursue that promise because a promised path is not, uh, it's not an easy path. What they had before them, so here's the, the king, and uh, we'll look at this next week, but the king even said, like, hey, I'm going to pay for it. Um, and, and so it was like resources weren't a problem, but, uh, and freedom to go wasn't a problem, but there were a whole lot of other problems. It was going to be a 900-mile journey from where they were back to their homeland, and their homeland was a wasteland. There was nothing there. They were starting from scratch. They were rebuilding from nothing, and they had just spent this last 70 years making very good lives for themselves. They had businesses, they had homes, they had income, they, had, uh, they, had, they didn't have any worry. They had the, the infrastructure of the city. They had the protection of the most powerful king. And what happened is uh, more people than not just stayed where they were. They said, hey, I can pursue the promise, but why should I? I really like what I have now. Why am I going to give up all this to go after that? I understand God promised it to me, but I don't need that anymore. Maybe we needed it 70 years ago, but we don't need it now because we have everything we need. And only 
of God's people, only 5% of the people returned back to the land. Estimated 1 million people now in, in Persia outside of Jerusalem, and only 5% went back, 49,000 people. It's just crazy because it was going to take them giving up their homes, giving up their businesses, giving up their safety, giving up their, uh, just giving up everything to go and build from scratch, to move out and to be a kingdom builder. Just think about this for yourself, all right? Um, if, if God were to speak to me, and he's like, uh, Nate, it's time. The promise has come. I'm going to move your family back to Canada, where, you, where, your, where your ancestors came from. That's it. It's time. It's time for you to go. You know, there's no part of me that's going to want to go. Like, I own a home. I, got a, I, I have a great job being pastor of this church. My kids are in sports. Um, I, I have all my favorite restaurants already. Like, sure, the lure of poutine, that's French fries covered with gravy and cheese curds. Sure, I can see how that's something that I could live to enjoy every day. But it's not really enough for me to give up this to go pursue that. And that's what they're facing with. Like, imagine right now, uh, you know, think about wherever you're from. All right, this is it. Give it all up. Go back. And you're going to have to build a house from scratch. And you're going to have to, you know, there's no plumbing. There's no electricity. Like, you, you, we're like, God, I, this is not a promise. This is a curse. Like, what in the world are you doing? I liked the life I had. But there, you just in faith have to believe that if you're pursuing God's promise, and he's calling you to give up a whole bunch of things in that pursuit, that it's better to be obedient and that, and that it's just better to pursue what he has for you than just sit back and be comfortable. There were 950,000 people who didn't go and pursue the promise. They just stayed with what they had. And what did they get? Yeah, they, they lived a life. That was it. But they never got to experience everything that God had for them. They didn't get to go down in history. They didn't get to change history. They didn't get to be a part of that adventure. And God wants us to be a part of that. And it's not easy. And we're not going to pretend that it is. And as a church, the things we're going forward and pursuing, it won't be easy. We won't pretend that it is. But we'll know we're doing and experiencing everything that God has for us, for you, for your family, for you as an individual will not be easy to pursue what God has promised you. It's going to take a lot of courage. But if you'll go after it, if you'll go after it, if you'll do what he's opened up for you to do, you'll get to experience it. You get to be part of that adventure, not just live your life on the couch. Second thing about this in pursuing the promise, we see in verse number six uh, that it takes a community. So Ezra 1.6, it said, and uh, so that 49,000 people, they're about to go. And it says, and all their neighbors assisted them. And they were, they were giving, which we'll talk about in a second. But for you to pursue what God has for you, for you to pursue the promise he has for you, it's not something you can do on your own. If you're married, it's going to involve your spouse and your children. It's going to take all of you. Um, as a church, it's going to take every single one of us as a believer of God 
It is going to take every single one of us for you to accomplish what God has called and promised you to do, for me to accomplish what God has promised and, and is telling me to pursue, for us as a church to accomplish everything that God has promised and is calling us to pursue. It takes every single one of us. Last week, I went to the Deerfield Fair, Michelle and our, and our kids, apparently, they earned it, and so we went to the Deerfield Fair last week. And uh, I, on accident, found these fresh-made waffle cones, so they were soft and warm, and then they filled it with fried chicken and maple syrup. So I was, I was fully devoted to that, and uh, my wife was getting the kids something far less expensive to eat from the Boy, Sc- Boy Scout hut, and... Um, and so I was eating that, and some people came and sat down right next to us. I mean, right next to us. And so that makes me uncomfortable as a the kind of as introvert. But they started talking. They were friendly. So eventually I warmed up, and we started chit-chatting, and they found out we were Christians. We never told them we were pastors because that usually brings an abrupt halt to a, to a conversation. But they're, and so they're like, man, you're Christians too? We're Christians. And so they're like, man, this is, we just love that everywhere we go, it seems like we're meeting Christians. And, and, and so Michelle asked, well, oh, where do you guys go to church? <coughs> so they went, we don't go to church. Uh, this is our church. And I, I had to do my best fake smile that I could ever do. It was like this. It was like this. It was... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> This is your church. <laughs> like, I am worshiping the Lord eating this fried chicken contraption, but, but uh, this is not church. This, this, as great as fried chicken doused with maple syrup is, and I had no idea it would be so good, this is not church. And this is not even as good as church, because you guys don't give me indigestion. Actually, actually you probably have before, but it's no, it's no comparison. It's no comparison. And a conversation at a picnic table with yellow jackets flying around, like it was a nice conversation, but that does not replace church. And what these, what these people communicated is, um, and what I heard, and I didn't even correct them, I didn't try to debate them, I just did my fake smile. <laughs> and we, and they have a son who lives in Dover, so if you're here, uh, your parents were very nice, but we invited their son to come to our church. We didn't, we didn't try to correct the theology or debate it. But here's what I thought as I sat there. And when Michelle and I talked about it 20 minutes later, um, I, I, this is, anyway, this is what I just thought in the moment. Man, that's so sad. You're missing out. You're missing out. Going to f- go, spending every Sunday in, at a different New Hampshire fair or a different Maine fair uh, has its appeal. Um, never having to wake up on a Sunday morning, never having to serve, no accountability to g- for giving. Yeah, it has its appeal. But if you're going to pursue what God has promised, it takes a church. It is a community of believers that God's assembled together for his plans and his purposes. And so you're like, God's just put in my heart to build a business. And you think, how does that connect to the church? It connects. The faith of this house allows you to move forward in the plans that God has for you. You cannot, you, you, can, you can get to heaven alone. You can't follow Jesus alone. You just can't because eventually it becomes 
too scary, and there's going to be a bunch of people behind you saying, jump, 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 and like shoving you off the, the railroad trestle into the river. Like there's got to be, you just never on your own will, will push. You'll always stop where it's too safe, too comfortable, but with all of us behind you, praying for you, and, and as a church, all of us reminding and encouraging each other, and for all of us using our different spiritual gifts that we've been equipped, there's just no way you can do it on your own. If you're here today and you're just one of those people who goes from church to church to church, and that's just your pattern, we're glad to have you here. It's time to knock it off. You've got to get connected in with a group of fellow believers where you're pursuing God's promise together. You have to. You're missing out otherwise. And you don't have to come here. I, we get friends. We can connect you to other places. You've got to find that spot. You've got to find that place. Third thing. So uh, first was it takes courage. It's sure going to. Uh, it, takes, uh, it takes friends and uh, it takes a community. And then last, it takes resources. Uh, same verse number six. Does, uh, they give them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey. They give them livestock. And then they gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. The people of God, they were, they were tithing. That's something that they always did. Even when they were in Babylon, they continued to tithe. And that's giving 10% of all of their income toward the work of God. For them, it was a temple. For us, it is uh, our local church. They did that. But then they were giving in addition to that. And uh, they were giving voluntarily. They were giving uh, extravagantly. They were giving toward building God's kingdom, toward the rebuilding of the temple. So, hey, you're headed 900 miles away. You're going to rebuild it. Um, let, me, let me help. Let me give you of the excess I have. Let me believe God to allow me to give even more that you can go and do what God's calling you to do. And it, it just takes resources. Whether we as a church are believing God, you, you know, when we're believing God that we'd have the opportunity to buy the building in Dover, or we're believing God that we would be able to uh, start a new location in Londonderry, or believing God that we would be able to, to financially handle the merger in Plymouth, or believing God for the next one and the one after that, believing God to hire new uh, staff members, believing God to do outreaches in our community, we know it takes resources. And we always want to look and ask God, what's our part? As a church, Jesus gave us a promise a long time ago. And this one's found in scripture, the words of Jesus. He said, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean? I promise you, I will lead you, I will build you, and you will win. This was the promise of Jesus. And so we stand on that, we remember that, and, um, and we, we live by that. But he has, um, he's called us not to just be comfortable in that, but to pursue that promise. We sit here in, uh, in northern New England, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, 
the three least church states in the United States believing God has placed us here to pursue something, to pursue just one more, to say, hey, could there be possible that God could use me to reach one more person uh, to come to know him before he takes me out of this world? Is there, is there one more person that I can share my testimony with and share the good news of Jesus with? Uh, we're believing that he's called us to pursue that. One thing that's happening in this message in this series is now a next step for our church. Because there's a whole lot of things that God has done. Uh, Our church has been here, uh, not here in this building, but our church has been in existence for 72 years. We look at the Babylonian captivity, and it's about the same time frame, and I'm not making any sort of crude parallels to that. But we just say, after 72 years, now this series, God is marking a new day ahead. And um, and we're going to call us kingdom builders. We're not just going to be people who live in Babylon and we're comfortable. We're here comfortable with our friends and our circle. We're going to be people who build the kingdom of God in northern New England and around the world. God's giving us an opportunity to pursue that. It's going to take courage. It's going to take all of us. And it's going to take resources, absolutely. But let me give you a little bit of background on this. When I became lead pastor, it was the fall of 2011. In fall of 2012, we did a sermon series called Foundations. I referenced it a lot because I really, it felt like when I was saying it, that it was things God put in my heart, but really it seemed impossible. It seemed uh, there were people who were in the church at the time who really mocked me from it and then left the church uh, shortly after um, and, and didn't believe it. And there was a season where it felt like maybe I made it all up. Maybe it wasn't God. When we look back now, here a a few years later, and here are some things that we said in January of 2012. We will start churches all over New Hampshire. So we've merged one, we've started one, but all over New Hampshire, we've, you know, um, we it's begun to happen. It hasn't happened, but we've been pursuing it, and it's begun to happen. We see it developing. We said that our church will be. Uh, multi-generational, that we'll have heritage. And we have seen that happen. So at every location in our church, there are three generations of a family that worship together. Here um, in, uh, here in, uh, at, during the summer in Plymouth, there was a four-generation family because they had family visiting. Here in Dover, we have a four-generation family who attends, and that's been our prayer. We, we wouldn't be a church just for young people. We wouldn't be a church just for old people, but we'd be a church that represents the kingdom of God. And we'd be a church where all generations are worshiping God together, serving the Lord together for our singular call, Matthew 28, to make disciples. And so we've seen that. We, that didn't exist in 2012. In 2012, we said we will reach the nuns. And this is not our Catholic uh, lady friends. This are N-O-N-E-S, uh, apostrophe S, the nuns. People who click none under a religious affiliation. So are you Christian? Are you Buddhist? Are you, um, are, what are you? And then they click, I'm none. I'm, I'm just nothing. We want to be a church that reaches those people. And um, uh, two weeks ago at U-Turn in Plymouth, 
and I apologize if, she, if she's there. I didn't have permission to share a story, but someone came to youth group that night, had never been to church in her life, a teenager, and had the opportunity, uh, Anna, uh, Pastor Chris's wife, had the opportunity to give her a Bible and just we're, we're, we as a church are connecting with those people who have never gone to church in their life. And some of you are looking at me right now. That's amazing. It's amazing what God has been doing in your life. We weren't doing that then. We were, just seemed to be filtering different church people. And um, we want to, uh, it's not our call to just have a church service. It's our call to build the kingdom. So uh, in, this, um, uh, in this message, we said we will reach the next generation, and we had been doing it, but we just wanted to continue to do it and keep a focus on it and do it, do it more than we ever had. So weekly, we're working with more kids and students than we ever had. Uh, a couple of nights ago at U-Turn in Plymouth, there were 29 teenagers there, which is, uh, which, is, which is amazing, amazing. And so we've got youth groups happening in multiple parts of the state. Student ministries happening in multiple parts of the state it is amazing. In 2012, we talked about a need for discipleship, and that was the point where we said we're going to launch something called Circles, which are going to be small groups happening in people's homes, which are still happening and uh, now happening in as far as Kittery, which is not that far from here, but uh, but you're going to take you two hours to drive to the one in in New Hampshire. New Hampshire are going to take you an hour and a half to drive to the ones in uh, in southern New Hampshire. And then we talked at that time. We're gonna we're gonna do something. We're gonna do one-on-one discipleship. We don't know how. We don't know when we're gonna do it. And then a few years ago, we started Follow, which is one-on-one discipleship that you can sign up for. We didn't know how it was gonna happen. Something that was a prayer of, uh, in 2012 that is just begin to say in messages anytime, we'll send missionaries out of our church. And this is a prayer, not just that we support missionaries, but that we develop missionaries. And during the Elijah series, a, a guy in, in second service in Dover, always sits in the front, uh, came up to me. And for the first time in our church, we have someone preparing to go to the mission field, Aaron Rice, who's in the who attends Dover Second Service, he's preparing to move to Japan to be a full-time missionary in Japan. So for the first time, that's happened in our church. It's amazing. It won't be the last one either. We've been praying for it. But here's something we said that hasn't happened. I said, our church will be a church that gives a million dollars a year to missions. So it's not a million dollars for this house. It's a million dollars for missions. It's happening outside of here. And uh, as soon as I said that, it was weird. Mission giving decreased. <laughs> and, we, and we really haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about it. We made a few changes. So one thing that we do every time you give, um, 10% of what you give, we set aside to fund our missionaries. And so we're giving more to missions than we ever have. Uh, but but as a, sacrificially, we're, not, we're giving less than probably we ever have. Uh, but... Um, but we just knew that this was something. And for me, it wasn't a big deal because one of my friends who's Pastor Gary Hamilton, he pastors First Assembly in Auburn, New Hampshire. His church, um, they give $250,000 a year to missions and they are not much bigger than us. And I'm just like, man, if that one church can do that amount. 
And then I've got an, another friend here locally, and his church, they give $100,000 a year to missions. And I'm like, if they could do that amount, what if we were 10 locations, which we know one day we will be, and each location was able to give $100,000? That's less than my, that our, one church is doing in Auburn. I think we could do it. We could be 10 churches giving 100000 that we could give a million dollars to missions. Guys, this series is the beginning of that. We can see in all these other things where God has begun to move and we've been following him in that process. We have not taken any steps toward this because it's been too big. It hasn't been the right time, but now it's the right time. We're going to pursue this. We're going to go after this. And it's a 900-mile journey ahead of us. It could take us 20 years till we ever get to that point. But we're going to look at this Sunday and this series as a part where we said, all right, it's going to take courage. It's going to take every single one of us. And, uh, and it's going it's to take a while. But we are going for it. We're going for it. It starts today. If you'll close your eyes, you want to take a minute and pray, and you're like, well, what does that mean? What are we going to do? Well, come back next week. We'll keep talking about it next week, and then for, come here for the next 20 years. We're going to be talking about this for the next 20 years, and one day, we're going to sit here and we'll say, who was here that Sunday? And a bunch of us are going to, actually, in faith, we're not going to be coming up in walkers because it's going to happen far sooner than that, but we're going to come up here, and we're going to say, yeah, I was there that day, and uh and, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate it together prayerfully a lot sooner than we could ever believe in this moment. But we're going to pursue it. We're going to go after it. Jesus, right now, we're just declaring ourselves as vessels of you, saying you use us for your glory and for your purposes. We don't know how we can do this, but we didn't know how in 2012 we could be a church that would reach people who had no desire or interest in going to church. We didn't know how in 2012 we'd be able to start churches in this area, but we just begin to pursue it. And right now, we don't know how this can happen. It is bigger than us. It is beyond us. But what we're saying right now, as a church, God, we don't want to stay where we're comfortable. We don't want to just hang out in Babylon. We want to be kingdom builders. Use us in Jesus' name to change the world. Use us. Use us. Use me and my family and anything that, that I have. Use it for your purposes. And the biggest part of all of this, there's a willingness in our heart. There's an obedience in the ties. But it also then becomes a resource, the resource component where we're going to begin giving and we're going to begin having a vision for how much we could give and we're going to begin to believe that you could use us to do even more than we ever could have. And so we're not at this point at all having it like, oh, great, I have to give, but just saying, God, what could you do in me? Could I and my family, could we ourselves give a million dollars over the next 50 years to missions? Could you use us for that? And we're just beginning to dream and pray and allow you to speak into our heart, to give us a vision, to give us a promise, and then we are going to pursue it. And Lord, if you, if, if, if you delay in your return, when you return, you'll find us busy about your business, busy pursuing your promises. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I just...